0: I, I, I think you'll be familiar with the name Elizabeth Gallagher. You heard of Elizabeth Gallagher? Elizabeth Gallagher was that sort of uh, lucky lady that you might have heard about in the news recently. Uh, a man called—let's get his name right. His name is Jordan Axani. He had booked a round-the-world trip. For he and his uh, then girlfriend, uh, also called Elizabeth Gallagher, only for that relationship to break up. So what does he do? He's got a ticket around the world trip in the name of Elizabeth Gallagher. Well I'll tell you what he does. What he does is advertise around the world for anyone by the same name, Elizabeth Gallagher, uh, to come on that trip with him and so enter our new Elizabeth Gallagher now what I want you to, to do is imagine what it would have been like for that girl that second girl to get the email you know that email confirming that you have been chosen eh, to, to go on this round the world trip <laughs> imagine that landing in your inbox this free round world trip no strings attached you know what a moment that must have been like what a privilege I guess What an opportunity she's got, right? Well, this morning the hope is that as we look at these verses of Scripture, not only, okay, do we see how privileged we are to be saved, but more than that, that we also see this morning what an opportunity, an amazing opportunity that you and I have as Christians in London that we have been placed by God in an incredibly important location for the spread and for the advance of, of the good news so this morning the sermon title our strategic opportunity you got it? our strategic opportunity so I'll say what I always say at this point if you've got a bible in front of you please have it open Um, to Acts chapter 17 and the verses we read. Acts 17 and verses 1 to 7. We've got a few questions uh, to answer about this text. So the first of these questions, think about this. First question, what is so special about where we live? Okay, friends? What is so special about where we live? Okay. Now, with the sort of current emphasis that there is on church planting in the Western world, um, believe me when I say to you that there's, a, there's been an awful lot that has been written about the, the Apostle Paul's strategy that he adopts in these missionary journeys. His strategy for sort of extending the kingdom, if you like, in the New Testament world. And it's often said in these works, in these books, I'm I'm pretty sure you will have heard this. So I said that that Paul focuses on centers of population. You heard that said before? In these missionary strategies, that that Paul focuses on the cities. I'm sure you've heard this before. Now, I think that's right. But I also think it's only half right. Because think about the situation that, we, that we've, we're looking at at this point of Acts. Now, what, what have we got here? What did we see last time, a couple of weeks ago? We'd seen Paul in Philippi, hadn't we? Do you remember that? You know, not remember the, the converts that we saw in Philippi? The, there was Lydia and the slave girl, and there was the jailer, and then there were all those sort of problems. And we'd seen Paul kind of kicked out of Philippi. Now, at this point, at the beginning of Acts chapter 17... You've got a sort of picture Paul. He's walking along this big, long Roman road, which was called the sort of Via Ignatia, I think. It's this big, long road that was sort of, you know, going south and west through Greece. And then he reaches this place that we read of called Amphipolis. Okay, now, here's my problem with this. You ready? If Paul's strategy was just to reach the cities and the centres of population... What might we expect him to do when he reaches Amphipolis? What would you expect him to do? If, if his strategy is just to reach centres of the population, he hits this city, what would you expect him to do? You would expect Paul to stay in Amphipolis, wouldn't you? You would expect Paul to preach. You would expect Paul maybe to plant a church in Amphipolis. Look at verse 1. Is that what Paul does? Look at verse 1. We are told that Paul passes through Amphipolis. Then what does he do? Next thing, he passes through Apollonia and he goes on until he reached Thessalonica. Now, I wonder, do you see my point? Paul doesn't just focus on cities. Do you see it? Paul focuses on strategic cities. You see, Thessalonica was the capital of that area. Thessalonica was a much bigger place. It was big enough, we're told, to have a synagogue here. I think most importantly of all, Thessalonica was a bustling harbour town. So it's a port with lots of people that are coming and going. It was perfectly placed to spread the gospel to other lands, wasn't it? And we know that that's what Paul's all about, don't we? We know that that's what, what Paul is thinking about, get the gospel to other places. I mean, just think about who it was that was saved first in Philippi. Remember who it was? Who was the first convert? It was Lydia. She was a woman from another place, from Thyatira. She was a woman who was going to bring the gospel to somewhere else. Paul's all about strategy. Paul is all about strategic cities. So I want to stand up in front of you this morning and I want to remind you what an amazing opportunity we as Christians in London in the 21st century, don't we? I mean, last week uh, I was in Edinburgh. I was away last week in Edinburgh, and I was preaching to uh, a big gathering of people. So all the churches, all the sort of the free churches in Edinburgh, they got together for this joint communion service. Do you know what struck me? Standing up the front, all these people before me. A couple of things struck me. One, I was kind of struck by how static it was. You know? Like, there was a lot of the same people that I would have known maybe a dozen years ago in Edinburgh in those churches. It was quite static. You know, the other thing that, that struck me... It was so white. <laughs> you know, there was a lot of white faces, you know, and I needed sunglasses for all the, 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 the white people that were in front of me. Now I am in no way saying anything negative about the wonderful work that these churches are doing, but do you see what I am saying? We're different. We're Thessalonica. We've got an amazing opportunity to to bring the gospel to all these people who come from all nations to London and for them to take the gospel back to other countries. Do you see it? I mean, think about it. We are in London. I mean, surely from a strategic point of view in the UK, the very place that you would want to be, if you're trying to reach the masses, more than that even, We are one of the very few Reformed or Presbyterian churches in the center of this city. Do you begin to see how exciting this is? Do you see it? If so, listen to these four words. Friends, do not waste this Do not waste this. You have been given the gospel. And you have been placed by God in this place. Do not waste this. Are you involved thoroughly in the life of this church? Are you serving Jesus Christ as much as you can in the city? Are you doing that? Are you members of this church under the pastoral care? Are we speaking to people about Jesus Christ? Friends, what we see here in Acts chapter 17 is that Paul prioritized strategic centers for gospel advance. So I want to say to you, that (laughs) is what is so special about where you live. Okay? Right. A second question that we've got to consider here from Acts chapter 17... (laughs) What is it that we are to do in the strategic city? So we see that we are in, we've got an amazing opportunity in the centre of London. What is it that we are to do in the strategic city? Okay. Now maybe again it is just because I have very recently returned from Bonnie Scotland and seen something of the, 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 the Christian spiritual scene north of the border but it does seem to me that in general the Christian church is very very quickly losing confidence in the word of God isn't that true? like we are seeing denominations in Scotland and we are seeing denominations in England as well running away moving away as quickly as they can from God's inerrant word, Isn't that true? Now, perhaps we need to bring that into the congregation. Maybe it's true that us in here, we are also losing confidence in God's word. Is that true? I wonder if you see what I mean. Let's say this week... I'll pause. Let's say this week... Uh, you're out in London and somebody says to you, so okay, you, you go to, you go to church, do you? I think hopefully that is a question that we would be willing to say yes to. We would be willing to admit to the fact that we go to church. Somebody has to say that. Let's say a work colleague this week said to you, uh, okay, so I've heard that you believe in Jesus. Is that true? Again, I'm hoping that we would be willing to admit to the fact that we, yes, we believe in Jesus. How about this, though? How about this? In this hostile, post-Christian age, if you like, somebody came up to you this week and said, you mean to tell me that in this day and age, you believe in the Bible? Isn't it then that we get a little bit uneasy? Isn't it then that perhaps embarrassment overtakes us? Well, come on, let me ask you this. In Acts chapter 17, what is it that we find at the very forefront of Paul's efforts to spread the gospel? Look look at this with me. Look at the last three words of verse 2. The last three words of verse 2. What do we have? Do you see it? Paul speaks to these people. Paul's reasoning with these people. How is he doing it? He's doing it from <laughs> from the Scriptures. You see, it at the sharp edge of evangelism, Paul has got, he's earned, isn't he? And he's got absolute confidence in the Word of, of of God. And this morning I'm saying to you, we need to recapture some of that confidence in God's Word, don't we? I mean, we need to see that, that this here, what you've got in front of you, it is It is not, you know, Christians say it's a guidebook for Christian living, it's a manual for Christian living. None of that. Do you see how it's infinitely more than that? That this book that we have here, this is God breathed out, this is God speaking to people, this changes cities. It does, it changes hearts, it changes people. This is how God speaks. More than that, this is how God saves. So on that, permit me to say one reason, a very, very practical way where we can bring God's word into our witness in this strategic city. You see, I I, I think if you are anything like me, you find it very, very difficult to, to bring Jesus into a conversation. That that is not an easy thing to do, is it? Um, I struggle with it. I mean, I think it's a very, very difficult thing to bring a conversation, let's say you're having with a friend or a work colleague, and to bring it around to the gospel. That's hard. That's a hard thing to do. Well, how about this as a suggestion? How about we invite people to read the Bible with us? That we maybe ask a, a friend or a work colleague, whether they would want us to maybe just sit and explain what it is that we believe, and, and, and to, do that, to do that from the Bible? Like, I mean, it doesn't have to be a big deal over a cup of coffee. Ten minutes? But couldn't we do that? I mean, couldn't we do even what, what it is that Paul does here? Look how Paul uses Scripture here. in verse, Look at the verbs of verses 3 and 4. What's he doing with the Bible? He's reasoning with people. He's proving. He is explaining. And what is he explaining? What does what, what we told? He is explaining that Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. Now, couldn't you do that as a Christian? Couldn't we do? Let Let's say we took Isaiah chapter fifty three. Couldn't we use that as we sit across the table from someone? And show them from that this. Show them how, how Christ is, has died and risen. Show them from Isaiah 53 that God has provided salvation. Couldn't we do this? Friends, if, if, if we want to be of use in this strategic city, if we really want to impact this city for the Lord our God, we need to recapture Confidence in the word of God. This this is God's word. But we also, at the same time, we need to be willing to use it. Okay, so we've seen that we're in a strategic city. We need to to tell the gospel from scripture. A third question to consider. What should, in London, what should motivate us In the strategic city. What should motivate us? I don't know if you follow politics at all. Um, I don't tend to follow politics closely. Um, But certainly one of the the main news stories of the past week, or I think the week before, towards the end of last week, was Ed Miliband. You might have seen it. Ed Miliband's statement that if we vote in a Labour government, that what he's going to do is reduce tuition fees uh, from, was it, whatever it is, nine grand to about six grand a year. Uh, And I'm not making any political comment on this whatsoever, but it was quite interesting to see uh, the responses to that statement, wasn't it? Like you had some people, and I would imagine including sort of prospective students, some people saying, that's a good idea, let's do that, you know? Let's reduce some of that. Money. But you had on the other side people saying, that's nonsensical. That's a ridiculous idea. We cannot, we simply cannot afford to do that. Now, here's the thing. It is that sort of a, a thoroughly polarized response that we see to the gospel in Thessalonica. Isn't that the case? It's a really polarized response in that city. Now follow me here. On one hand, how do people respond in Thessalonica? We can miss this because of the flow of the, 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 the passage of scripture. We can miss what happens. Notice here that some people are saved by grace in Thessalonica. Do you see that? Did you miss that? Some people respond to what scripture is saying about Jesus. So you've got that. People are saved. Then on the other hand, what have we got? So you've got also what I would say is a sort of a vicious and orchestrated opposition to the gospel. Look at what the people do in Thessalonica, please. The authorities are so opposed to Paul that they get a mob together. They've got a riot going on here. And they seek out Paul. They can't find Paul. What is it they do when they can't find Paul? What do they do when they can't find Paul? They arrest the other man called Jason. carry on. Now, it's fine focus on the portion of Scripture at hand. We're thinking about the opposition here and we're seeing that they arrest this man called Jason. Now, here's the thing that I want you to think about. What is it that they do to Jason in verse 9? Look at it. Get your Bibles. Verse 9. What is it they do to Jason? This is what I want us to think about. It's very important. Verse 9. What's the, the NIV got? The NIV says that they make uh, Jason and the others post-bond. What does that mean? I think the ESV, if some of you have got the ESV. It says that they make this guy, Jason, give over money. Now get this. The idea there is that the authorities are legally binding Jason. Like, the idea there is that Jason is forbidden now hosting Paul. He's not allowed to stay with Jason. He's not allowed to stay with any of those. Do you see it? It's the idea that they are throwing Paul out of Thessalonica, and they are not allowing him back in. So it's like a sort of type of legal banning order there in verse 9. do you see what that means? It just means suddenly, out of the blue... This man, Paul, is removed from the strategic city. Suddenly, out of nowhere, he is taken out, and he cannot get back, and he cannot witness any longer. Let me read to you what he later says in Thessalonians, writing back to these people. He says to them, we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, I wanted to come to you, but Satan has hindered us. Do you see it? All of a sudden, he's picked up, he is taken out of this strategic city. And I would say to you this morning, "That there should shake you. That there should pick you up by the collar, and it should shake us out of our hopeless lethargy toward the gospel. Because what we see is that we are not just in a strategic city. You are in a strategic city today, now. And you do not know how long you are going to be here. I mean, who knows how our life situations are going to change? Who knows if we are tomorrow having to leave London? Who knows when you're going to get ill? Who knows when the people we are going to witness to, they get ill? Do you see it? A clock is ticking. A clock is running on our time in this strategic city. So again, I say to you, How are you going to use your time? What are you going to do? Will you intimate to the church, to the eldership, your willingness to be involved? Will you serve the Lord Christ while you are in this city? Will you go out, tell people about this gospel, tell people about the cross? Because one thing is for sure, hear this, like Paul in Thessalonica, your time. In this strategic city, your time is short. So we are in a strategic city. We are armed with the word of God. And time is ticking. A fourth and last question. Friends, who should we want reigning over our strategic city? Who should we want to see reigning over our strategic city? And really the answer to that is maybe not as straightforward as you might think. You see, I mean, what we've noted is that Paul is using the word as he preaches in Thessalonica. Now, as we do that, there is a danger that we have to be aware of. There's a danger that we have to avoid. You see, when we're witnessing to to the gospel, especially in a strategic city. We always have to keep in mind what it is that we are trying to do here. When we are witnessing, we've got to keep in mind the end goal, what it is that we desire to see. Because I think if we're honest with us, and please hear this, when we're witnessing, I think a lot of the time, we want to see London embrace Christian values. Isn't that right? Don't we want that? And when we're witnessing maybe and when we're thinking about these things, we want maybe even bigger than that, maybe we want Britain uh, to sort of go back to its Christian foundation. Maybe when we're speaking to our friends and family, really what we're hoping for is that they adopt, you know, a a Christian lifestyle. No? That we really hope that they adopt a Christian ethos to their lives. Isn't that sometimes the focus of our, our witness and our hope I want you to see this morning, all of that is a mistake. That all of that there is an error. That the focus of our witness isn't about a Christian ethos. And it isn't about Christian values. That the focus of our witness is about Christ. And that's something that we see very, very clearly Here, with Paul, I mean, look at verse 3. We're told in verse 3, not that Paul was kind of talking abstractly about the need for a Christian ethos, or or talking kind of abstractly about the the need for a a saviour of some sort. Look what he says. He says, this Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. You see, it's a message that is centred upon Jesus of Nazareth. Then, I love this, look at verse 7. Verse 7. verse 7, Paul is accused by the authorities. But look at it. Such is Paul's focus on Jesus Christ. What is the accusation? It is that such was his promotion of Jesus Christ. They accuse him of calling for allegiance to another king. Do you see the point? In that strategic town, the message that the church proclaimed was a message about the God's man. It was a message about the one who was born in Bethlehem. It was a message about the one who was born sinless. It was a message about the man who was godly, the one who was divine. It was about the message of the one who was humble enough to go to the cross. It was a message about the one who. was raised on the third day by the Father. Do you see it? It was a message, a message entirely about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want to end with a plea. Let that same message be the one that we take to the homes and to the streets of London. Because I guess in some ways we want the same accusation that was leveled against Paul in Thessalonica to be the accusation that is leveled against this church. In so many ways, we are calling for allegiance to a new monarch in the city of London. Friends, I'll tell you this. I, I could not be any more convinced about what we're seeing in Acts chapter 17 today. I think millions of Christians worldwide would want what, what, what you have got, you know? The health, the means, the opportunity to live for Christ in a city like this. So I'm saying to you again, do not waste this. Because I think even more than Elizabeth Gallagher. We've been given everything, haven't we? We've been given everything for free. And just because we now, in our baptism, our salvation, bear the same name as Jesus, we stand before the Father this morning, righteous, righteous in Christ. So, let us say with Paul to all the people of London, this Jesus who we are proclaiming to you he is the Christ let's pray